And today what we're going to see is not just the protest and the problems that come from an unholy anger, but also the prescription to that unholy anger. And my prayer is that God would cultivate within us a long-fused love so that we would bless and not bruise the people around us. That we would learn to, to live and love like Jesus in such a way that we would stop reacting to everything and we would start responding. So turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4 starting in verse 21. Ephesians four twenty-one. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbor the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Now jump down to verse 31. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Some of you were hoping today that we would skip this one on the list. Let's just not talk about anger. Some of you have been praying that we would talk about this. But what you and I need to understand here is God has given us this emotion called anger. And one of the questions that I want to challenge you with is this, is love and anger incompatible or are love and anger compatible? You see, what's not compatible with love is apathy. Because apathy doesn't care. Love always cares. And there is a part of anger at times where what we're displaying is we really care about something. And so you and I need to understand that. Because here's the reality. If someone was to hurt or to harm a family member of mine, and I said, I don't care. No big deal to me. You would say I was heartless. That that there's a problem. You see, anger is the correct response to evil. The problem is many of us at times allow anger to drive us towards evil. If I see a woman that's being abused and I don't care, then we've got a major problem. If I see a woman being abused and my response of anger is to go over and to kill that person because I am so angry and upset with them, We've all been there. It's okay. Then here's the problem. I have just done exactly what that other person was doing. I've just abused somebody. Because I have allowed my anger to draw me towards evil. But what if instead I go and I end up in a spot where I say, you know what? I'm not just going to help this woman get out of that, but I am going to allow that anger, that protest that I have to drive me to a place where I start to help people that are stuck in abuse. Do you see how all of a sudden there is this protest of anger that becomes constructive and not destructive? 
But how many of us today are protesting in an angry way that is destructive in people's lives? James says this in James 1, 19 and 20. Be slow to speak. Man, you could just take that one part of the verse and it's a challenge all week, right? Be slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to become angry. Why? Because man's anger does not bring about the righteousness of God. Be slow. Have a long fuse. Did you notice that the verse and the challenge here is not don't be angry. It says be angry and don't sin. That's the issue. There are times where we need to get angry. Unfortunately, many of us are getting angry over things we don't need to get angry over. And there are many of us that are not getting angry over the things that anger God. Now, what's fascinating is if you take that, those two words, slow and anger or angry, and you do a word search in the Bible for verses that have both of those words in there, slow and angry, you'll find ten. One is the verse in James 119 that we just, I just told you about. And it's towards us. But the other nine, and this is what's amazing, are all in reference to God. Let me read one of them to you. Psalm 86, 15, but you, O Lord, are a God of compassion and mercy, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. Did you hear that? That we have a God who is slow to get angry. Can you imagine if God flew off the handle every time you messed up this week? How would you feel? But see, I don't know that very many of us believe this verse. There are a lot of us that have bought into the lie that that God is just this angry God in the sky that's waiting for us to mess up so he can smack us over the head with a big stick. And what's happened is we've clouded the real face of God. Now, some of you noticed something different about me today as you came in. Something's missing. It's gone. I shaved. This is the first time really in 20 years that my face has been exposed to the sunlight. (laughs) Now, why did I shave? Because I realized something. My kids have never seen my real face. Isn't that funny? They've grown up their whole lives, and as kids, they've never really seen the true face of their father. Now, their mom, when she saw me, went, whoa, what are you doing in my house? No, no, you can come back in. She texted a picture to the kids. Olivia goes, man, dad looks like a totally different person. My son texted me and he said, can I borrow your time machine? And I said, no, it'll take you back to junior high. You don't want to go back there. (laughs) But you see, some of us, we don't really see the real face of God, our father. Whereas kids... We've been saved for for 20 years and we've been in this relationship with him, but we've allowed this garbage to build up and so we really don't see his real face that, that God is a God who is slow to anger and we're believing that God's just constantly disappointed in us, constantly angry with us, that if we would just work harder, maybe someday he would love us. Did you hear what it says here? He is filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. He already loves you. And it's time for you to start to shave away all those misconceptions, shave away all of those lies, shave away those false doctrines that you have believed that God is just constantly angry with you because he's not. He's slow to anger. 
And I'm incredibly thankful for that. Your belief will affect your behavior. And if your belief is that God is just angry with you all the time, then your behavior will be laced with anger. So let's talk, number one, about the protest. You see, anger is really a protest, and we have to see it that way. God has given us these emotions. The problem is some of us are not comfortable with emotions, and so we just try to avoid them. There are others who are not uncomfortable with them. They are controlled by them. So we got some people that are uncomfortable, some people that are controlled, and a handful of people that actually have a proper godly perspective when it comes to emotions. These are God-given gauges to help us understand that something is going on in our life that we need to take a look at. Now, do you realize that there are gauges in your car? There's an oil pressure gauge. When that gets really low, you need to stop driving. There's a temperature gauge. When that gets really high, you need to stop driving. There is a fuel gauge. When that gets all the way onto E, which stands for empty, you will stop driving. And emotionally, some of us are running on E today. Now, there are some of you who are so uncomfortable with emotions that you just ignore the gauges. Some of you are so controlled by emotions that as you drive through life, you're just looking at the dash. You're not even looking at where you're going. And so you're running over people and you're running out of fuel. And so today, I want to talk not just about the emotion of anger, but I want to talk about the six big emotions that God has given us. Now, there are some minor ones, but I learned a long time ago, major on the mountains, not the molehills, right? So here's the first emotion I want to talk about. And these are not in a particular order. You can experience these all over the map. The first is sad or sadness. And we've all been there. We've been sad. Maybe it's the loss of a job. Maybe it's the loss of a loved one. But when we're sad, here's what we tend to do to society. We withdraw from everybody. Why do we withdraw? Because we need space to grieve. And so we withdraw and we process through that sadness and oftentimes that's tears. Sometimes we're angry mixed in with that. Sometimes we're scared mixed in with that. But we process through that. But here's the problem in our culture. We're not comfortable with sadness. We want everybody to be happy. And so when we see sad people, we go and our number one goal with sad people is to try to cheer them up. But they don't need cheered up. They need space to process through and grieve appropriately. And so we show up and we try to tell some jokes or we try to encourage them. And when they won't come out of sadness, we're like, I don't want to get sucked into sadness with them. I'm just going to leave them all alone. And then they feel isolated. One of the greatest things that you can do with people who are sad and when your kids are sad is just go be with them. We have this belief today that we need to somehow say the right words, that we need to somehow have the right scripture, that we need to somehow fix them. They don't need fixed. They're not broken. They're just sad and they're grieving. And my encouragement is don't be like Job's friends who show up and try to give all this great advice that's absolutely terrible. Just be with them. Help them to know that they're not alone, that it's okay to be sad, that it's okay to grieve. The next one is anger. And I want you to always view anger through what am I protesting? Anger is always a protest. Little kids throw temper tantrums. Why? Well, 
There's something that they're wanting that they're not getting. Maybe it's they want more sugar. Maybe it is the fact that they don't want to go to bed and they need sugar or they'll fall asleep. And so they're protesting all of this, and sometimes they throw these temper tantrums, and our job as parents is to help them process through this protest, to not say to them, it's not, you shouldn't protest, but to say to them, you need to start to learn to protest things in a healthy way so that it's productive, not destructive. And that's what anger is. When you get angry, you are protesting something that is going on, and there are some protests that are healthy and some that are not. Now, here's the amazing thing with anger. We end up just like sadness alone, but we're not the ones that withdraw. Everybody else withdraws away from us. We don't move because nobody likes to live near or next to a volcano. And when we're constantly blowing up, it's a scary place to do life with that person. And so everyone leaves us alone. And then we protest the fact that I don't have any friends, that I feel alone. And it becomes this vicious cycle. Now, if you've read your Bible, especially the beginning of it, in Genesis, it says this, God made them male and female. What does that mean? They're different. Do you realize that men and women process anger differently? It is time for us as a society to stop trying to get men to be women and women to be men and to celebrate the difference, but to understand that, especially within the context of marriage. Because here's the thing. By nature, by God's design, by nature, women were designed to nurture. They love relationships. When they get together, they circle the wagons. That's what I call. That's why in coffee shops, there are all these round tables, right? And women get together, and and there's this unspoken rule with women. If you're looking, you're listening, okay? Now, men are different. We do life shoulder to shoulder. You can have two guys go hunting and they never look at each other one time and they never feel like, hey, if you're not looking, you're not listening. In fact, for men, if they're staring at one another or looking at one another, they feel like, well, what are you giving me the stare down for? And so they're uncomfortable with that, right? If I stare at Dave long enough, one of us is going to drop our gaze because it feels like a challenge, but we're different. Now, do you realize that when we get frustrated in life, <clears throat> when there's sadness, when there's those that anger Typically, women emote with tears. Men emote with anger. They're both emotions. Now, if we put you on a talk show, who would look guilty? Men. He's really angry and she's crying. He's the bad guy. No, he's not the bad guy. That's just his go-to of how he tends to emote. But here's what you need to understand, guys. Women's hearts can't handle anger. Not constant anger. When I'm in a counseling session and I have a couple where he's crying and she's angry... Something has flipped. And they have been stuck in this cycle for a long time. And it's a scary thing at that point. But you see, here's what you need to understand. Women, guys, can't handle that environment of anger when we're constantly frustrated and we're constantly blowing up. And so they castle. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But here's the thing. People want to argue this with me. This this men tend to blow up with anger first. And here's the thing. We were created to protect. And so when someone breaks in your house, you get angry. And that anger serves you. Now, imagine those of you that want to argue this. Tonight, someone breaks in your home. How many of you think your wife is going to say, honey, get behind me, I've got this? Now, if that happens, you need to come see me and hand in your man card, and I'm shredding it. You're never getting it back. I'm kidding. 
And so when women are in this environment of constant frustration and anger, they castle. What do I mean by that? When the old days, they had a castle, and when they felt threatened, they went in the castle, they put up the drawbridge, they, they barred the city gate, and it was a form of protection. And so when women feel this constant animosity and anger in a marriage, they castle, they retreat into their heart, and they start to wall off their heart. Men intuitively know something's wrong, and we want in there. So you know what we do? We're smart. We go pound on the city gate and yell. Okay, anger drove her in there. You think anger's going to bring her out? No. You need to back up. You need to start praying. You need to start taking a look at, I am protesting something that I need to protest now, and that is that there's not this closeness in my marriage, but I need to uh, protest it in a constructive, not a destructive way. Ladies, you need to understand something about castling. If you stay in there long term, the very place that was designed to protect your heart will become your prison. You see, what happens is there's a siege. And yeah, you keep out the hurt and all those kinds of things, but you keep out everything that you need to do life, love, hope, hugs, all of it. And see, in the old days, there would be this siege and eventually you ran out of food and you just died in there from starvation and disease. And some of you, you're locked up today because you've been put into this environment of anger. And as a couple, maybe this afternoon, you need to just go and have a conversation with each other. Guys, you need to figure out what is it that I'm constantly protesting? Why am I angry all the time? And here's what's sad. Most of us, when we do blow up, it's at home. We would never speak to somebody else that way. In fact, some of us, we have these huge fights in our home, and somebody calls, and we answer the phone, hello? Well, instantly, we're fine. Because we feel like we can just dump all the garbage on our spouse, but we would never do that to other people, people that we don't even know. There are two very unhealthy ways that we respond in anger. One is to blow up, the other is to clam up. The next is scared. We've all been there. We have fears. But what's interesting with scared is we can react in two different ways, fight or flight. And it can look like anger a little bit or it can look like sadness. The next three are ones we like. Happiness. Happiness depends on your happenings. You go to work and you're employee of the month and you get a parking spot and a happy meal and you're happy. Hopefully it's more than a happy meal. Maybe you get a raise or something, right? But you see, happiness is different than joy. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. It's dependent on Christ, where happiness is dependent on your circumstances. Next one is excitement. Excitement is a little different than happiness in this way. It's the anticipation of something that's going to happen. Happiness is what has happened. Excitement is the anticipation. Remember when you were a little kid, or those of you that have little kids, the night before Christmas, they were wound up tight, super excited, couldn't go to sleep. Why were they so excited? Nothing had happened. It was the anticipation of Christmas morning. We need to learn to build excitement into our relationships. Do you remember when you were first dating, how excited you were to see that person? I remember in college, my grades, one of the best things that happened for my GPA was angel. 
I would get my homework done. I would study. I would have everything done. Because as soon as I got to see her, I wanted to spend all that time with her. I didn't want to have to be trying to study. And I couldn't wait to be with her. I just get excited thinking about her. There were times I couldn't even go to sleep because I would be thinking about her. Can I ask you that que- this question? Do you still feel the same way about your spouse? Do, do you still have that excitement, that anticipation at the end of the day? I can't wait to get home to see them. Now, some of you are like, man, now you're meddling. Why did you have to go there? Because you suddenly realize, I don't feel that way. Some of you are more excited that your favorite show and its new season has just been released on Netflix than you are about your spouse. You can't wait to get home to get into Netflix. What happened? Some of you, you spend more time scrolling through Facebook and looking at everybody else's life than actually living life. Here's what happened. Life threw its wet blanket all over you. The bills, the diapers, the yard work, the laundry, the dishes, the house that needed to be cleaned, the mortgage. We could go on and on and on. When I first came to America, I was 13 years old, and my brother was looking for college. And, and so we came over and spent a couple of weeks here. And I, I noticed something unique, and that was couples. And now that was back when all of the pickup trucks were the same. It was a regular cab, bench seat, long box. Remember when pickups were just pickups, okay? And there were two kinds of couples that I noticed in those pickups. One kind, he would be driving and she would be slid right over next to him and he'd have his arm around her and you could put like two other people on the other side of them. Then there were the couples, he would be driving And she'd be clear on the other side, and you could put two people between them. And at age 13, I figured out who were dating and who were married. See, the ones that were dating were super close. The ones that were married, there was this distance between them. And if he was to say, hey, honey, come on, slide over. Oh, you're hot. You're sweaty. uh, It's just uncomfortable. I, I get a crick in my neck. And all of the reasons why we don't want to do that. But when we were dating, we didn't think about that. Why? Excitement. And so I want to encourage you to build some excitement into your marriage. How do you do that? Start dating again. Can I ask you, why did you stop dating? And what is the purpose of dating? It's to get to know each other, right? Do you really truly think that you know that person that you're married to? They're changing. God's doing a work in their heart. They're not the same person that you married a year ago, 20 years ago. And you and I need to go on dates, not the typical American date, dinner and a movie. You don't learn anything about them at dinner and a movie. They got food in their mouth and you can't talk during the movie. Here's what I encourage you to do. Take turns dating. Let's stop putting all the responsibility on Prince Charming to come up with the perfect dates. Ladies, you take a turn and you plan something that excites your heart and expose him to that. Guys, you take a turn and expose. Expose your wife to something that excites your heart. And there's going to be things that only excite your heart and not hers and vice versa. But you will discover things that you both get excited about. You and I need to learn to start dating again. We need to start dreaming again. And here's the third thing we need to start doing in our marriages to build excitement. We need to start dancing again. Yes, you just heard a Berean pastor from the platform because he doesn't have a pulpit say, you need to dance in your marriage. Because here's the reality, if you are not dating, if you are not dreaming, if you are not dancing, you are dying. How much excitement is there? 
Do you still get that tingly feeling when you're in their presence? That's not puppy love. That's, a, man, I want to spend the rest of my life with you every single day kind of love. Is that what you have in your marriage? You see, the last one is tender, and this is the one we're most uncomfortable with as men especially. Women, women are more comfortable with this because we see tenderness as weakness. But can I tell you that Jesus was tender? He was also tough. He went to the cross of Calvary, and he took all of our sin on himself. <clears throat> I doubt there's a single man in this room today that could drag their cross to, uh, their cross to Calvary. I doubt we could do what Jesus did. He was a real man. He was tough-minded but tender-hearted because as he saw the people as sheep without a shepherd, it says that he wept. Not the, oh, no, I just got something in my eye. I'm good, I'm good. Kind of man crying. I'm talking about bawling like a baby. Why? Because that tender heart, do you have a tender heart? Now you notice that all of these have an opposite. Happy, sad. What's the opposite of anger? It's excitement. Why? Because it's a blinding emotion. Remember, when we get angry, we do or say things that we normally wouldn't do or say. When we're excited, we do and say things that we normally wouldn't. Little kids, the night before Christmas, they can't sleep. You've all been there as parents. Lay still, close your eyes, and go to sleep. I can't. Right? It's a blinding emotion. Takes over. The opposite of scared is tender. And some of us, with our kids, with our wife, in our marriages, we need to learn to introduce some tenderness to help with some of those fears. Can I ask you this question? Where are you living today? Now, understand that we can be living in several of these emotions. I'm not saying that you shouldn't be sad, angry, or scared. You're going to experience those. Right now, I'm sad. I'll be honest. It's hard to leave sheep that I love. But can I also be honest and say I'm also excited at the same time and these, these twin emotions that are going on and sometimes I, I flip from moments of sadness to moments of excitement as to what God has for us. Sometimes I get scared. God, God, God can I really do this? And we go through all of these different emotions, don't we? But can I ask you this? Are you living primarily in the sad, angry, scared or in the happy, excited and tender? Many of us are living in the sass, the sad, angry, scared. And here's what you need to understand. Sad, angry, scared takes a huge amount of emotional energy. Happy, excited, and tender produces energy. And so some of us, we are literally worn out. Our tank is on empty. We're about to run out and be stuck by the side of the road because we're living in the sad, angry, scared because we've forgotten that there are things that we can be excited about. The fact that Jesus will never leave me or forsake me. The fact that I am forgiven, that I am his child. The fact that someday I, I will get to live with God forever. So let's talk about the problem. The problem of protesting in an unhealthy way. Turn with me really quickly to Luke chapter 9, verse 51 through 56. Those of you reading, I want you to see how John is spelt correctly in the Bible. And the Bible is the final authority. <clears throat> As the time drew near for him to ascend to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He sent messengers ahead to the Samaritan village to prepare for his arrival. But the people of the village did not welcome him. Jesus 
because he did not welcome Jesus because he was on his way to Jerusalem. When James and John, J-O-H-N, saw this, they said to Jesus, Lord, should we call fire down from heaven and burn them up? But Jesus turned and rebuked them, so they went on to another village. What I want you to understand about James and John here is this is towards the end of Jesus' ministry. They've been doing life with Jesus for three years, right? They're not newbies. They know the heart of God at this point. They know what Jesus has taught them in how to respond and not react to people. They are part of what we call the inner three, Peter, James, and John. They got to see some things the other disciples didn't see, the transfiguration, Jairus' daughter raised from the dead. They were closer to Christ at the Garden of Gethsemane, even though they chose to fall asleep. They were given nicknames, Sons of Thunder, which at first sounds awesome. Man, that's what I want to be called, a Son of Thunder, right? But do you notice here their heart attitude of anger? Why do you think they were called Sons of Thunder? Most of you have experienced what happens when we have thunder, right? You got dents in your car to prove it. It's not pretty. It's not fun to live with the Sons of Thunder. And yet here, after three years, there's still kind of their attitude is, well, let's just destroy people that we don't agree with. And that's my fear in the church today, that we're going to adopt that kind of an attitude. What I want you to see is how they react instead of respond. And their reaction is one of retaliation. Notice Jesus responds resolutely. He sets his face towards Jerusalem. He doesn't miss the mission. Now, why did they react with retaliation? Let's just call fire down and burn people up. Because they felt rejected. Jesus had just been rejected by the Samaritans, and we're following Jesus. So as followers of Jesus, we're rejected. And so how do they react to rejection? Retaliation. You reject me, I'm going to reject you. You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. Is that what we're called to as Christians? No. Do you notice what Jesus does with that? They get rebuked, not the Samaritans. You see, in the church today, we want the whole world to be getting rebuked and rebuked. And maybe it's the church that needs to be rebuked today. Because we're reacting, and we're reacting in ways that are unhealthy. Now, I want you to see something absolutely foundational and critical here. When you feel rejected, I want you to see how Jesus responds to rejection. Imagine this is rejection, right? You don't always get to choose, and it shows up, and it's thrown right there, and here's the Samaritans, and there'll always be Samaritans in your life that are going to reject you. Here's exactly how Jesus handles rejection. Watch this. It's revolutionary. Sidestep. Keep on going. Do you see that? Don't miss it. What did Jesus do? Sidestep. Keep on going. What did the disciples do? There's no sidestep sucked in. How many of us today are getting sucked into rejection? And I'm not saying it's not going to hurt. Understand this. This is not the first time Jesus has been rejected. He was rejected the very beginning of his ministry by his own hometown. They tried to throw him off a cliff. Do you know what Jesus did then? Sidestep. Keep on going. You see this throughout his ministry. The Pharisees, they try to reject Jesus and his ministry. Sidestep. Keep on going. And you have to learn that. Otherwise, you will get sucked into this. Now, here's my fear for the church today. Have you noticed in our country that there is more and more of a rejection of Jesus Christ? You can talk about God, but the moment that you bring up Jesus Christ, there's this huge outcry and and we get rejected. Now, we're going to get angry about that, right? 
We're going to protest that. But are we going to protest it in a destructive way or constructive way? Are you going to be like Jesus or James and John? Do you want to see people get freed or fried? And I think if we're honest in the church today, we think that the problem is everybody else. How in the world are people who don't know Jesus going to see Jesus if we just react with retaliation every single time we feel rejected? We need to react with compassion. Man, those Samaritans, they don't even know what they're rejecting. They're rejecting the Redeemer. That means if they keep rejecting him, they're going to hell, and I don't want to see him go to hell. Do you see? Instead of lashing out, we start to love people. It's here that you and I see the prescription, lastly. And what I want you to understand here is that this idea or this feeling of rejection is nothing new. Do you remember the first person in the Bible to lose it and get angry? Cain. Why did Cain get angry. God rejected his sacrifice, his offering. Why did God reject it? Because Cain wanted to offer what Cain wanted to offer, not what was acceptable. And there are some of us today, we're wanting God to accept our lifestyle, wanting God to accept the way that we want to do. God, I'm just going to live together. I know that you've called us to marriage, but I don't care about that. Here's my offering. Here's what I'm going to do. This is the lifestyle that I've chosen. You have to accept it, God. And guess what? God's not going to accept that. That means he rejects it. Now, how are you going to handle that rejection? God didn't reject you. God didn't reject Cain. He rejected Cain's way of doing life, Cain's offering, because it was not acceptable. God's told you how to live, and you have a choice. And you know what? If you live that way, God will bless you. But if not, he's going to reject that that choice, that lifestyle. And so how did Cain respond to this? He protested. What did he protest? He protested the fact that God rejected his offering. Why didn't he protest the fact that he had given an unacceptable offering. He wasn't angry about the fact that his offering wasn't acceptable. He was angry at God. And some of you, you're angry at God because he won't accept the way that you want to live. Maybe you should be angry at the way that you want to live, your offering. And God says to Cain, in the book of Genesis, sin is crouching at your door and it wants to master you, but you need to master it. And he didn't, right? And what did he do because he felt rejected? He went out and killed his brother. That's not constructive, that's destructive. Do you remember Jacob? He had all of these sons, 12. And and he favored Joseph, and that made the other sons feel rejected. And so what did they do? They went out and they wanted to kill Joseph, right? Fortunately, someone had a little bit of compassion in the family, and they're pinky, and they sold him into slavery instead of killing him. But you see how anger, and especially when we feel rejected, we want to murder people. We want to hurt people. Saul, when he was the king and David came along and you have this big battle and David killed thousands, tens of thousands, and Saul just his thousands and the people were singing about it and Saul felt rejected. And what did he do in his rejection? He got angry and tried to kill David. So David goes and he flees and he's living in the wilderness. And there's this man named Nahum and he's taking care of his stuff. He's kind of like protecting him from people that would steal from him. And he sends his men down, and he says, hey, we want a little bit of food. And Nahum says, no, I'm not going to give him anything. Tell David to get lost. David feels rejected. What does David do? He gathers his warriors. He's going to go slaughter him. Do you see a pattern here? Fortunately, there's one good thing that Nahum did. He married a smart woman named Abigail, and Abigail intercedes and speaks some truth into David's life. Jesus protested as well. 
Jesus, when he went into the temple, saw that it had been turned from a house of prayer into a house of profit, money lending. It became all about money, and it was no longer about the worship of God. And so he got a whip. You can't tell me he was not angry, running around the temple, cracking the whip and chasing them out and flipping over tables. But do you notice it was constructive? He restored the temple back to its original purpose of prayer. Cain killed. And the question that you and I have to ask ourselves today is, am I going to have a Christ-like or a Cain-like anger? Is it going to be constructive or destructive? Now understand, rejection is not the only log on the fire of anger. There are many. Disappointment, expectations, frustrations. We can go down the list. In fact, I think you can group them into three. Hurt, frustration, and fear. But the question that we have to ask is, do I need to be protesting this right now? There are times, and my wife will testify to this, she doesn't struggle with this. I do. I get into that Denver traffic, especially when it stopped and we're on the interstate and we're supposed to be going 75 miles an hour and we're not even moving. And I find myself, yeah, there's a few other husbands with me, right? And I find myself just getting angry. What am I protesting? I'm not getting anywhere. But can I ask you, do I need to protest that? What if I would actually listen to my wife for once? <laughs> my Abigail, that's speaking some sense into me. And turn on the Christian radio and use it as a time of worship. But I waste that in anger, protesting and spending all kinds of energy on things that don't matter. But if I do need to protest it, the question I need to ask is, am I going to do it in a healthy or in a healthy way? The other thing that we need to see here is there's three firefighting tools when it comes to anger. The first, and all of these are in the book of Ephesians that we just read. The, the first is Kindness. If you want to bring and get rid of anger in your home, just introduce kindness. Just start being kind to one another. Anger has to leave by the back door. Here's the thing. Anger gives a mighty foothold to the devil, but kindness, he drops off that cliff in a hurry. He can't hold on when there's kindness. It's like literally like honey. He can't hold on to that. Second thing it says is be tender-hearted. We go back to being tough-minded and tender-hearted. And then it says forgive do you know what Jesus had taught his disciples almost three years before they were wanting to call fire down from heaven? He sent them into the villages and he said, if people reject you, they reject the message, shake the dust off your feet and keep moving. Some of you are holding on to dirt that you have held on to for way too long. You've been holding on to dirt for 20 years and, and, and you don't want to let go of that dirt because you feel like you've lost all the power in that relationship. Look, here's the reality. Anger is destroying you. You are literally falling apart, not just emotionally, but physically. And it's ruining all of your relationships, not just a relationship with your spouse. You have got to learn to let go. We have to also think it through. Do you remember Joseph in the New Testament when he heard that Mary was pregnant? Talk about rejection. Talk about anger. It says this, that he pondered. He gave some space. You and I had to walk by faith, not by feelings. And in order to do that, we have to filter our feelings through some facts and through our faith, through the Word of God. And as he thought about this, he came to this conclusion. I love her so much that even though she has torn my heart in two and I'm angry, I'm not going to react based on anger. I am going to respond based on grace. And he said... I am going to quietly divorce her. He could have publicly humiliated her or he could have had her stoned to death for adultery. 
And do you notice it was in that moment that God spoke truth into his life? Some of you are missing the truth of God because you're not thinking about it and you're not giving space. There's no room for the Spirit of God to speak in your life because you just react immediately and there's no space for him. We've got to talk about it. Some of you are jumping to conclusions. You're not willing to go talk to people and say, hey, I heard this. Is this really true? And then there are just some things that you've got to turn over to God. There are things you can't fix. In 21 years of ministry, there have been people over the years that have gotten angry with me that I can't fix that. And I could get caught up in it. I could get sucked into the rejection and the anger and the disappointments. But when the way that you sidestep that, it's not that you don't care. You give it to God. God, you deal with this. I can't fix this. And it's been amazing to me over the years, I've had people 10, 15 years later call and say, man, I've been angry with you for a long time. I know. Because you won't look at me when you see me in town. You go the other way. And I was wrong. And it's opened up a door for us to have a conversation. Did I do something? Is there, are the things I need to apologize for? But there are some things that you have to give to God. Here's what's been the most helpful tool for me in my anger. Relating to people, if God is slow to anger with me, then why wouldn't I give the grace to be slow to anger with other people? We have the privilege this morning of taking communion. And at Mitchell Breen, you don't have to be a member or a partner. We just ask that you've placed your faith in Christ, that you've confessed your sin. And so I'm going to pray. And when you're ready, I'm going to invite you to come. And for some of you, you you just need to, in your marriage, things aren't quite right. But just hug each other this morning. Forgive each other and come and take communion together. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for your truth of your word that speaks deep into our lives. And we pray that as we come and take communion this morning, that we would remember that, that all of your anger was, was cast out onto Jesus Christ, and he took all of that wrath for us. So help us to see you not as a vengeful, angry God, but a loving God, full of unfailing love and faithfulness. We pray these things in your name. Amen.